0: whether it's done with a chasuble on or in a coat and tie or a t-shirt, it doesn't really matter because as Dom Gregory Dick said in his Shape of the Liturgy, and it wasn't a, a positive for him, he said that the Book of Common Prayer was the most thoroughgoing attempt to put into liturgical form the doctrine of justification by faith alone.
1: Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, here today with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Coke of Christ Church Anglican in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. How are you guys doing today? Great, Nick. Great. J.D. and Liza are now internet official, expecting twins. Congratulations. I was <laughs>
0: like, wait, where are you going with that? Um <laughs> Yes, we are. In fact, it's quite the, uh, the story we have, um, we have adopted two embryos and, um, Liza is carrying them now, two little boys. So, uh, we are prayerful, uh, all systems go. We're 14 weeks in. Um, but yeah, we're, we're, uh, it's, it's quite, uh, the, the modern love story. <laughs> you know that'll
1: be five for you. That's one short of the Kennedy standard. Are you starting <laughs> to feel the pressure, Matt?
2: Yeah, and I guess we could adopt. We have to get one more kid on pretty soon because our eighteen-year-old is now off of our off of the uh, income tax roll, so we don't get the child tax credit for her. Oh, so uh,
0: that's true. We got to adopt.
2: Go. We got to do something. Well,
0: that's- if any of our listeners know anyone, we wouldn't be we would be open. We have a we have a house study that's up to date because we had uh, <laughs> intended on adopting in a more conventional way um so we have one one car seat space available so yeah. just you know, throw that out there um stranger things have happened than than <laughs> putting that putting that into people's ears and then getting a call a little bit later so if our listener has found themselves in a situation um you know uh don't give the baby up give it to us yeah we'll take it <laughs> that's right that's right
1: we will be praying for you guys and for Liza especially thanks
0: you thank you
1: So this week, inspired by the announcement of the lineup of speakers uh, for the RADVO conference, shockingly, none of the three of us were invited to speak. (laughs) Anyway, in light of RADVO, which stands for Radical Vocation, we thought we'd talk about this vocation that the three of us share. Now, the RADVO conference bills itself as being, quote, for anyone who is interested in learning more about the ancient order of the priesthood, as a 21st century calling. To be sure, it's radical. That's pretty much how everyone describes me. But what I found myself wondering this week was whether or not the calling to ordained ministry is radical in a different way now than it was when the church first started calling men to be set aside for a lifetime of service to the church. So this week, we're going to talk about that ancient order, what it means to us now, how it might or might not have changed over the years, and maybe even reflect on a couple of our 39 articles of religion, all to help us understand this radical vocation in which we are engaged. So guys, how do you understand your calling? What are you doing? We are under shepherds, under the great shepherd,
2: um, who have been called to uh, To preach the gospel to a set group of people, a congregation, to pastor them, to help them follow Jesus throughout the course of their lives, to administer the sacraments to them, um, and to do that faithfully until we die. Uh, We're called to model Christianity in the way we live our lives, and the way we lead our families, the way we raise our children. Um, and in our relationship to the world, so that we both serve as an example to the flock and uh, a good example to the people in, who might be looking in from the outside. Um, but all of that, of course, is 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 the, the two main aspects of, the, of that vocation, or to be, you're you're being set apart uh, to preach the word and administer the sacraments. Instead of, or in a, I'm using that in an old way, instead of, or in the in the we're supposed to uh, not mediate, of course. There's only one mediator, but the channels through which the grace of God flows to our uh, to our congregation <clears throat> through the means that He's established.
0: I think you know, I'm I'm. I mean, there's a variety of places you can go in the Bible to find out sort of what at least the the shepherds or the pastors or the presbyteroi or whatever you know what, the various names for the for the leaders of the church are, but I think, um, you know, I'm always struck by Jesus's admonition to his disciples and his ascension in acts one, where he says, you will be my witnesses, you know, you will be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, or Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And this course comes from the Greek word that, uh, Martero, you know, where we get our word martyr. And I'm looking at the, you know, the, the sort of the, the work of the Christian pastor in particular imbued, I would like to think, or at least seems to be the case with the gift of faith, you know, um, um, uh, amongst others, um, to to stand in the in the darkness, to stand on the precipice, to stand in the marketplace and witness um, to what God has done in Christ for the world. And so, this you know, this takes a variety of forms. But in our particular tradition, you know, as Matt said, it, it involves the proclamation of word and sacrament and the care of souls, as it were, usually in the context of a local parish. And so you know, I think that seems to be the calling is that you have a genuine, you know, belief in fear of God, belief in and fear of God, which then translates into your um, hope for others to be brought into a right relationship with said God. And then you spend uh, the rest of your life working that out in fear and trembling in the context of your life and family, and then your life and family laid down for the, for the lives and families of others. And mm-hmm.
2: It, it, it's I guess it's it, it's radical in the sense that just being a Christian and having any kind of vocation in a fallen world to be to be living for Christ is a, is a kind of a radical thing, but it's not like this uber special forces kind of Christian thing that that we're now like you were just an ordinary Christian and now you're now you're the Green Beret Christian, you you are you are there are certain definitely some qualifications we have to meet that the that other Christians aren't aren't required to meet. That's true, but just to remain in office. But again, I, I, I'm not so sure I would, I would quali- use the term radical uh, to qualify what I do. And one reason that rubs against me wrong is because um, I remember being told by one of my uh, more progressive, well, I wouldn't say progressive. Maybe we were secret sensitive slash progressive, there's, there's the, inter- the interplay between those two ideas, to so that I need to go and think about my particular special unique thing that Jesus is calling me to be and do for my congregation and then live into that for the rest of my ministry. So I've got to, I've, it's not just that I'm called to be a, a presbyter. I've got a special unique Matt Kennedy call that, that is unlike any other, any other person. And so I've got to, I've got to figure that out and, and then shape my ministry around it. Um, no, no.
0: Yeah.
2: If I'm going to be a presbyter, my ministry is already defined for me. It's it's given to me there in the New Testament. I know exactly what I'm supposed to do. It's given to me there in the ordinal. I know what I'm supposed to do. Um, There's no no special radical vision that I have to go grab from heaven and then enact on my poor parishioners. Um, I'm supposed (laughs) to serve them, not not live out my special way among them.
1: I remember when I was a, a young clergyman back in the Episcopal Church, when I was sort of ready to transition from associate rector to rector for the first time. And I would went on several these interview and discernment processes with churches, and they would inevitably ask me, sort of just like you implied, about my sort of unique gifts that I could bring to the congregation. And after a while, I fell into the habit of telling them that my spiritual gifting was that I was a normal person. And That's good. Surprisingly, I think that was very attractive yeah. to <laughs> as, congregations. As, they really wanted their pastor to be a normal person, and I think that, as you say, Matt, that <laughs> that in itself is a gifting to be able to be, you know, a, a what was it? Was it Luther said? Was it Luther who said that we are? Beggars showing other beggars where
0: to find bread. Yeah, yeah. This is our. is right. We're we are beggars. That it's true. Supposedly his final words. Um, yeah. Suppose his final words. Yeah.
1: So it sounds to me like you guys are suggesting that the calling hasn't changed that much, despite it being you know two thousand years since the first man. I mean, since Peter was commissioned on the beach, right? Feed my sheep. Our calling is, is largely unchanged. Certainly the methods, well, not even the methods, the the movie illustrations that we use in sermons are going to be different. Um, but what we're called to do is pretty much the same, right?
2: Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, you know, Mike I looked at some of the media presentations for the Radvo conference, and you know, they have anti-right. it's a big name's coming. Inti Wright, Isaac McCauley, Tish Warren, James K. Smith from Calvin College, who recently uh, wore his uh, "I Love Trans People" T-shirt on Twitter, um, and then we have uh, we have uh, uh, Wes Hill, who was in the ACNA but now is shifted back to the Episcopal Church, and it's being hosted by an Episcopal Church. So I mean, all of the, just just the the aesthetic of it and the way it's described, and there, there there's not a lot of description about it about the conference. So I guess we'd have to just tune in to see what it's about. But uh, but it seems to me to be aimed at the at the kind of disgruntled baptist or non-denominational person who thinks the idea of an ancient order is really cool because there's nothing like that in his center point
0: baptist church potential potential, potential Baptist
2: church or yeah you know, a liquid church like impact
0: <laughs> right, 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 like blunt impact <laughs> church
2: right so there's nothing like so so you know and you 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 swim in those shallow waters for a while and you you long for something ancient yes and, for sure and, and with some historical background to it but you're also a little you know you're also uh, really totally worn down to the bare bones by your your parents and grandparents intolerance and and love for the Republican Party um, and so you kind of see the ACNA as a, as a, as a progressive, more progre- more more open to progressive the- more pr- progressive politics well
0: clearly uh, it must be i mean at least this very conference must be at least allowing for that given the fact that it is an episcopal church yeah. hybrid with the ACNA because you know say what you want about particular congregations within the episcopal church the actual official teaching and and as it were the canons and the um the rule and order or whatever we would call it is certainly um progressive to put it lightly you know and so it's it's certainly calling into question whether or not the disagreements between the two church uh, churches are legitimate enough to well to to break communion fellowship with i mean there's a bunch of eucharists at this conference i don't know if there will be people boycotting or standing down or you know refusing to participate or whatever the case may be but but that um you know that in of itself points to uh, to your point matt to um a certain person that will will not have or will find it attractive that there is this sort of seeming um, middle ground between, you know, maybe what they would consider to be the excessive dogmatism of the ACNA or the perhaps the excessive liberalism of the Episcopal Church. Maybe this, you know, so it invites sort of a conciliatory type seeming person. I don't don't know. That's just We've, we've lamented
2: before on this podcast, the the influx of disgruntled Baptists looking for ordination in the ACNA because those tend to be the most woke um, and to be the least, to be those who least understand Anglican tradition and polity or care about it. And, and, so, and so that's one of the reasons why this, uh, this, this a conference like this concerns me. It seems like this is another, another inlet for just that type of disgruntled person to come in and seek orders. Um, and so the numbers uh, will, will begin to swell. And I, I, to your point, J.D., I, I, I seem to recall, maybe I'm misremembering, but I seem to recall there being some some public statement, either by the archbishop, or maybe, it, maybe you guys can clarify this, or if you know what I'm talking about, where, where we're not supposed to be
1: doing me- common ministry with the Episcopal Church. We're well, I know to be-
0: in Nick's diocese, it's prohibited, right. isn't it?
1: I'm not to take communion from someone ordained in the Episcopal church. I
0: don't know if that's a province level statement, but it is in our diocese. Well, and it's- this is a problem, you know, cause Matt, some of the things you're talking about, about the ancient, I mean, the history, the connection to the church fathers, the, I mean, and for lack of a better word, the, the beauty and the holiness and the, in the mystery, like these are not in and of themselves, bad things. I mean, I can speak yeah. as someone grew up sort of Baptistic with a charismatic flair, um, being introduced to the Anglican tradition or the, Episcopal Church, the uh, English tradition via the Episcopal Church, I mean, the the doors that that opened and the depth of um, history and sophistication was quite attractive. I mean, there's no question about that. And to someone who, you know, I joke about it and it's not really, it's, it, well, it's, it's just the way you <laughs> laugh or cry. It's like, I thought Rich Mullins wrote the Creed, you know? I thought when he, <laughs> his song, The Creed, right. I was like, wow, this guy's a genius. Um, and so I don't want to disparage anyone who is coming to, uh, from a, as it were, a thinner tradition, as a sociologist. Electricity into a thick tradition, you know, one that has layer upon layer of history and um and mystery and things like this. I don't have a problem with that. The problem I have, uh, which again is yeah. where when you have an, a mix an admixture of the Episcopal Church and ACNA, is when that is seen is part of the mystery is seen as a devaluing of dogmatic theological convictions over against some sort of participatory. Um, mystical sort of holistic I mean all these words are just all these words are kind of part of the the the, the triggering that I have going on when people describe their their um, their journey to the um, to the Anglican church often because it is seen as we said before a an escape from a uh, more rigid in many cases the way they describe it just seems to be straight up fundamentalism as far as I can tell I mean I didn't grow up in a fundamentalist church but but some people did and then the way they describe the freedom they find in the episcopal or episcopal side Anglican church is that now they no longer bound to such strictures and you know that's when Nick and I have had this conversation in person with many many people um, because we're used to serve a church that was in the same city as the Southern Baptist uh, Seminary which you know has 5,000 seminarians or whatever so out of 5,000 there's always going to be a couple of people who are um, disgruntled you know (laughs) looking for possibly something less rigid seeming than than the SBC although as we talked about last week that they might have found that in their own church now, but that's another conversation. But, you know, we'd always meet these people who come talk to us and it took, you know, probably 10, 15 minutes of just question and conversation to figure out if they were looking for Anglicanism, if they were looking for a a Protestant, historic Protestant uh, church uh, bound by the scriptures that had put the message of the gospel into liturgical form, which is what I think, you know, essentially Anglicanism is, or they were looking to escape from having to, To speak what the bible says clearly and with uh courage into uh an increasingly hostile culture which is of course the the main reason to become an episcopalian because you can um supposedly believe whatever you want as long as you keep your mouth shut and your head down and you won't get disinvited from any cocktail parties or uh your local reading clubs um but you know yeah so so that that that's basically the the divide that i think still exists And we were hoping that the ACNA and its clarity and some of these more um, uncomfortable positions uh, would weed out or at least um, would it would at least cause some people to look elsewhere. But it seems like there are people still trying to um, to make it easier to be a witness in the ACNA than it should be. Um, And that that's what I'm worried about.
2: I don't I I'm with you about the tradition thing. I think it's it's one of the great draws to Anglicanism is the tradition. That's not the problem. The problem is, though, when I think I think some are are pairing, like you say, an appeal to tradition with also a way to get back at my parents and to and to be and, and to show that, you know all of the political ideology that I was raised with can be thrown over and I can still be a Christian and here, look, here are the, here are the fathers, here's the liturgy. And you just kind of have a mashup of those things. And that's what I, I don't like using tradition uh, as a way of deconversion, um, which it seems like uh, some of these guys are actually doing, I mean, go in and you know? go in and go in the most woke areas of the ACNA and on Twitter and, and listen to the things they're saying. It's a lot of rage, a lot of anger. Most of the guys who are posting a lot are former, former fundamentalist baptist i think and and they'll they'll purport to say that to to give you like summaries of i even heard one guy who's who's big in this these circles give a a lecture about what is anglicanism and it was it had very little resemblance to what anglicanism is it basically described uh, a very loose broad uh theological tradition that's right it really doesn't matter What you believe, as long as you believe in the Trinity and the creeds, you're totally okay, Um, and and you you have your liturgy correct, so and so to some degree.
1: Yeah, if you're not careful, you end up where (laughs) what J.D. so eloquently called a choral evensong historical reenactment society. It's (laughs) very beautiful, and the words are said exactly right
0: in the King James.
1: In the King James, and nobody says or believes anything in particular well it's you don't have to
0: it's it's jesus flavored it's jesus flavored unitarianism which which actually was the Anglican Church um in the nineteenth century in many places i mean so we're not you know this is nothing new but that we are becoming a stop on the way to agnosticism if not if not atheism is really unfortunate you know becoming to put it lightly because I think once you once you put your i mean Stephen Paulson is a dear friend um you know once said, uh, wrote something that you can tell when faith. You know, Lutheran, good Lutherans. That's that's um, their main concern, faith. You know, so other churches are named either Concordia or Faith. You know, Faith Lutheran or Concordia. But um, he says, you know, you can tell when faith is fleeting, um, particularly in the church, when the church starts talking about itself and less about the gospel, because that's that's what starts happening. And so when I hear people talking about all the various reasons to be an Anglican, you know, the the liturgies of prayer or the the connection to the history or the uh, mysticism of it or the beauty. I mean, none of these are bad of themselves but i want to say like it's actually i believe one of the best um Vehicles for the proclamation of the gospel. I mean, this is what I think, whether it's done with a chasuble on or in a coat and tie or a t-shirt, it doesn't really matter because as Dom Gregory Dick said in his Shape of the Liturgy, and it wasn't a, a positive for him, he said that the Book of Common Prayer was the most thoroughgoing attempt in English to put into liturgical form the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Like that's what he said. And he was an Anglo-Catholic. He thought that was a yeah. bad idea. He wanted to go um, back. <laughs> that's right. He thought that was. And, you know, that when I read that, you know, some 20 Twenty years ago. I was like, well, that's what I'm looking for. You know, I mean, I'm glad. I mean, I like to sing and I was in choirs and stuff. And so I like I can take a good um, I can sing a good choral um, offertory with, with the best of them. And that's wonderful. But, you know, give me an actual gospel believing preacher who is concerned about people's eternal destiny, um, who who can't handle a tune over, um, you know, a paid beautiful choir with a five million dollar organ, theoretically, <laughs> and, um, and, and give me that every day. And and I'll take it. And so, you know, I think, again, and that's not to impugn any anyone who's involved in the Radvo conference or is thinking of going or it's just a it's just a reflection on on what we have seen, having been in the Episcopal Church, navigating the various type people who come looking for an Episcopal Church and what type they're looking for. And then being involved in the development and the beginning movement of the ACNA and trying to at least be clear on the front end of what you're actually getting involved with. And I think that's, for me, been part of the most difficult um, uh, or that's been one of the most surprisingly difficult things, having been a late comer to the ACNA. I mean, I've been a fan and sort of as involved peripherally since I was in college, but um, only for the past three or so years been an actual minister in it. And I've been surprised at how few people um, even understand the history, much less the sort of distinctives uh, that that actually undergird the ACNA. And I want and I find myself getting in more than one argument with people who are involved in the ACNA who think that what I'm saying is some some wildly um, well, it it just triggers them in all of their fundamentalist Baptist ways or whatever the case may be. You know, you sound a lot like my dad, who was, was a minister, or like my grandpa, who was who was also a minister. Like I'm a long line of ministers, and I'm gonna be the last one, sort of thing. You know, so I don't know. I mean, I I I share your concern, and we've spoken about this. I mean, this is in part why we started this podcast, I started this uh, with our you know Facebook group, and all the various things that we started was to find some common. Common cause with people who um, don't necessarily have an antagonism towards other people, but have have found have have been involved in the beginning of the ACNA with great uh, concern to to at the very least start off from from with a clarity out front that would would just be well refreshing and illuminating and and hopefully encouraging for those who were looking for a church like this, and then it would be. Um, it would be clarifying for those who are looking for something else. I mean, that's, and, and I, and I find that that this type of admixture conference undercuts that, which is, which is the problem that I have.
2: Yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't seem, it doesn't seem like they're, they're, they're stretching to find Anglicans who want to be priests. It looks like they're trying to find Anglic uh, people who are not Anglicans who they can make Anglicans and then train for the priesthood, um, which I think is dangerous. It's a little bit, it reminds me a little bit of the process you saw back in 2009 um, when the ACNA just started off. And I, and I thought it was good at first. I didn't have any problems with it at first, but the church planting movement, right. 1,000 churches in five years, I think was the, right, was right. the goal.
0: <laughs> do you have a Bible and a uh, room? <laughs> like.
2: Right, which again, which, 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 I, I, the emphasis on um, planting churches is excellent, wonderful. But I do think that um, I do think that there's a certain kind of churchmanship within the more evangelical charismatic uh area of the acna that can take a goal like that and say hey whatever whatever it takes to get to that goal we're getting there you know so the dna we have is not good we get that's right bring more energetic uh evangelistic uh spirit-filled or whatever kind and in this case progressive uh when we're talking about radio uh, energy into the into the acna and we can become more uh, you know we can grow faster um, we can appeal to the culture better, um, and and we don't. You know, one one benefit of getting some some deconverting Baptists into the ACNA is is that you can slowly maybe overcome the the stigma of being That's founded right. on the anti-gay, uh, on, on standing against the gay movement in the Episcopal Church. So all of this, all of this, it just, it just strikes me as odd. We're, we're looking for some other kind of DNA than our own to build, uh, to build us, to to grow on. And I think it's openly dangerous for identity.
0: Hmm.
1: I wonder if you guys would agree that there's a, a fruitful avenue of sort of illustration here with the idea of apostolic succession, when you have people who are more in love with the idea of history and the connection to the ancient, the idea of apostolic succession then becomes really cool that the person who ordained me had hands laid on his head and there were hands laid on that person's head and hands laid on that person's head all the way back to St. Peter, who was commissioned by Jesus Christ himself. That becomes a really cool idea to envision yourself as part of this great chain of history. Whereas I think that what's most important about, apostolic succession is the teaching of the apostles. And the hands were always just a symbol of, I was taught and formed by a man who was taught and formed by a man who was taught and formed and back and back and back to somebody who was actually there with Jesus and saw what he did and heard what he said and has passed that teaching down to me. And that's how you become, well, to borrow a term radical, you, you don't change the teaching based on the changes in culture. So 21st century culture, teaching's the same. 18th century, teaching's the same. 5th century, teaching's the same. That's what's radical. And so the, the apostolic succession, the idea of the his sort of coolness of the history of it, takes a backseat to the passing down of truth, which actually becomes radical over time.
0: I'm hesitant to weigh in on that because I share your sentiment. Uh, I, I, I agree with you entirely, but I've gotten into one of the largest and longest theological fights discussions of my life by asserting something like that with someone who who essentially believed that the manual transmission of apostolic succession was in fact as important as the circumcision debate in Galatia for the apostle Paul. (laughs) So I I didn't really know how I haven't really recovered from that problem with all this is I've been read. I read so much of this cynical deconstruction stuff that I can just hear the reactions to everything, you know, as if there was any truth in the 18th century, as if there hasn't been change, as if it was routing, you know, blah, blah, blah. But fundamentally there is a proclamation that is radical in every generation, which, which professes the inerrancy. Well, the three Jerusalem doctor, uh Declaration statements, the uniqueness of Christ, the authority of Scripture, and God's design for your bodies, which you have very little, you have nothing to say about, except for your confession of having done and left undone those things which you ought not to have done. You know, and so that's the radical call to repentance, the call to um, self-sacrifice, the call to conversion. And in every generation, that call is going to seem people are going to try to make it easier. They're going to try to make it less radical. They're going to try to make it. Um, more palatable to the gospel, uh, to the prevailing culture and I think that however it's being marketed that that is going to continue, continue to be the, um, be the, the radical vocation of the Christian, much less the minister um, in which to your point is the, is the continuation of the um the, the teaching of the apostles, the teaching, you know, they, they remained in the apostles teaching, the fellowship and the breaking of the bread. Well, that's word and sacrament right there in the context of the local community. And, there will be people who will try to change the teaching, break the fellowship, and not participate in the breaking of the bread. And, well, that's going to happen in every generation, and we're going we're gonna, to, by God's grace, Uh, fight against it and stand firm in the midst of, uh, of, a unbelieving world, proclaiming and witnessing to what God has done for sinners in Christ. And um, probably along the way, some of us will be martyred, (laughs) (laughs) which is what, uh, in a one of one variety of another, you know, I mean, and for some people that's getting disinvited, you know, not being seen as sophisticated enough by their 20 year college reunion people because they left the Episcopal church and went to the ACNA, for instance, again, speaking hypothetically, you know, but uh, 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 speaking for a friend, are not being seen as um, you know um, any whatever which way because of uh, convictions and sort of associations with the faith once for all delivered to the saints, um, said Jude. And so, you know, that's radical, however it looks um, in whatever vestiture it finds itself. And so, you know, I hope that people going to the Radvo conference see that radicality um, in whatever case it may be. But again, you know, from our perspective, having gone, been through the Episcopal Church and out uh, on the other side, it's difficult to it's difficult to consider that that would be the final fruit given the compromises that um, must be made to remain a minister in particular in good standing in the Episcopal Church. I mean, we've been, even recently been through this with seminary I'm involved with, um, because the question was not whether individual people in various churches could be Orthodox, but how could various ministers who were given to take oaths of allegiance to the very, the bishops, given some of the innovations, particularly in the Episcopal Church, how could they, in good conscience, do so? And it was um, it was really seen as, as quite a, a problem problematical, as Anne would say, statement. <laughs> and um, And that's where we are. I mean, that's what we that's what was important enough for us to walk out, be thrown out or carried out, however the case was. And it's difficult from this perspective to see, again, the admixture of ordained uh, Episcopal and Anglican clergy um, holding hands, singing Kumbaya as if as if none of this has ever happened or as if none of it ever meant anything. And that's 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 really part of the problem, because what that communicates, whether it's explicitly said or not, is that all of the sacrifices that people have made to get to where they are, including having their church taken from them and turned into a mosque down the street from their house, Matt, um, were maybe, maybe not even necessary at worst, but certainly possibly a little too aggressive at at best. You know, I mean, I think that's, that's what it calls into question. And I, and that for me is, well, that's, um that's the problem I have with it. <laughs> I
2: mean, look, it's, it's interesting, you know, Again, maybe this conference will be really good, and I don't want to. We shouldn't say it's going to be terrible without knowing. Except the fact is, I think only one of these speakers is not some of the characterizes woke. The always are, but I'm, I'm looking through, I'm scrolling through this. I don't see a maybe. I'm not sure what Matthew Oliver's position is in the photo, in the show. Day. Maybe he's not because he's in the Inshada House guy. Um, I, but looking at these these speakers, it it just. Um, I don't see anybody who was in the Episcopal church and left for the ACNA who lost anything, who had any kind of experience of that, of that conflict. And
0: yeah, uh, I don't know what Wes, I mean, Wes was at Trinity and was at, I don't know if he was ever in the process of the ACNA, but he's, he's now ordained. I think he's on the way to the priesthood in the Episcopal church. So he's I
2: mean, it's just, I, I, I'm not, I was, I'm just speaking about just, in, is, there's so many priests I know who lost things who would be good Examples to young people thinking about becoming that's right. <laughs> about becoming ordained ministers. We the ACNA has a wealth of experience of people who have fought for the gospel and lost for the gospel, and so when the people are, when who are putting together a conference for potential ordinance, ord- it doesn't make sense to me to to pass over that reservoir. Yeah, and... but those
0: people aren't going to go to a conference with uh with an opening uh, eucharist done by an episcopal bishop. Like that's the problem. Like, yeah, those those people true, who but, actually have yeah. have. Sacrificed and, as it were, have seen um, the value, for lack of a better word, in that sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. In the ACNA, are going to be if they're not listening to this. If they did listen to it, they would be, I think, in great sympathy with our um, with our initial um, take on the problem, uh, the, the, the problematic aspects of this. For that very reason, because. You know, the, I mean, even the communion partner bishops, I mean, the way that they, um, you know, all stood up and then sat down uh, it, together for the in defense or lack thereof of Bishop Love and his trial and his, um, you know, the way that he was removed, uh, that should have been the final, final gasp of any idea that there was some sort of um, actual resistance in the, in that uh, movement in the Episcopal Church, and yet there's still people who are um, convinced that that will be that—that's a courageous place to stand. And you know, and I'm grateful that we welcomed Bishop Love and Bishop Howe into the ACNA. But, um, you know, I think that's to your point, Matt, is that there are a lot of people in the ACNA who would who can give you a very clear, sober, um, clear eyed, sober assessment of what a radical calling to the ACNA is. And their, their their diocesan offices are in their basements or they've had their church taken by and sold to a mosque or they were, um, you know, deposed um, and thrown out of their house for 30 years that they raised all their children. I mean, you know, and the list goes on and on and on. And that actually is a clear uh, picture of the calling to which we have been um, asked to follow. And that would be a a conference that would give an actual picture of what of what we're getting into. I mean, that's what um, you know, I have this discussion all the time with people on the Trinity board about, um, you know, there, there's this concern that we're that all of these. Uh, students are not going to want to come because it might be too difficult or perhaps moving to Ambridge is going to be, you know, it's not the nicest uh, weather at the very least. Um, You know, they're nice, you know, like Pepperdine's like, you know, that would be a nice place to go. Um, You know, are they just going to be too expensive or there's going to be all these hindrances. And I said, well, you know, that's true. And you don't want to make it um, a punitive situation to go, you know, but at the same time, we are asking them to come to quite a difficult job, you know, calling. I mean, this, you know, the idea of the the second son, you know, entering into the priesthood and sort of having a kind of a cushy life and moving up through the various endowed parishes and then all the various boards and, um, you know, having a nine handicap, you know, well, that's a world that is shown for by, as the Germans would say, that is gone. Um, at least certainly, for the ACNA ministers that we're looking to call. And so, you know, you, you'd probably make sense to have a RADVO convocation in Binghamton, New York. You know, come hang out with um, Matt Kennedy for a week and see what, see what you're actually getting involved in. And guess what? Fewer people might sign up, right? Man, but it's good. like my friend that's on the board of... um. I've got a, a friend that's on the board of a, a major Christian college, one that hasn't gone woke. And he says very straightforwardly, he says that uh, we know for a fact that 99% of high school seniors want nothing to do with our school. And we're fine with that because we actually are looking for a specific 1% knowing that those are the people that are going to be most edified and um by what we have to offer. And I think that's the type radical call to a, um, you know, beleaguered and sort of um anemic American evangelicalism that actually would be pretty cool uh, if we, we could make it.
2: Yeah, a Good Shepherd, we've trained up we we've now had our second person trained specifically a Good Shepherd graduate from seminary seminary and be ordained. No, oh, I'm sorry, a third. We're going on four now and over the last uh six years, seven years and every single one of those guys i i'll sit them down and i'll say okay well you what makes you want to be a pastor and there are a lot of you know a lot of different ideas i feel like i'm called by god which is you know, good um <laughs> <laughs> that's a good thing um i like to preach i want to preach the gospel good 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 i want to care for people okay great wonderful excellent but the question i'll ask them is if, if the thing i'll say to them is if and this is what my mentor told me if you can if you can see yourself doing anything
0: else that's right Do that, yes, because we need more Christian, we need more Christian, um, everything's.
2: And if if you can see yourself doing something else, then when things get difficult, you might go do that thing. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, 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 if this is the only thing you really ever wanted to do, it's it's, and the only thing you're really qualified to do, like, if I were not a priest.
0: I, mean, I, I don't know I, what i would do i would
2: dig a ditch maybe or something i can't do i can't do anything i have to be i would have to literally do manual labor and, and, and very simple manual labor because i don't do anything else but because no. but it has to be it has to be something that you can't do anything else but but what with this and you love this because when things do get difficult you're the tendency is going to want to be to bail out to get out, do something else, go to a second career. Um, you know, let your wife get a full-time job, and you stay home, and take care of the kids, or whatever it might be. But you, you can't do that. You, you I guess you can, of course, but you don't want to go into it with that option. You want to go into burning your bridges, saying this is my, this is my vocation. This is where I'm headed. This is what I'm gonna do.
0: Well, yeah, and this is, I mean, maybe taking it uh, a little far afield, but but back to the seminary training. I mean, we've talked offline many times about you know, this day and age, they should be doing everything they can to make the seminary more um, difficult, like more of a weeding out process than ever before, because, you know, the day when you could at least, I mean, like when we were Episcopalians, you know, you could make it through. And there was some, like I said, there was some large uh, multi-staff church that had the need for, you know, a seventh string pastoral care, you know, hospital chaplain, and you could find a job somewhere and like you could do, you could have this niche ministry. If you, if you really were kind of questioning your call um, at some point, fairly short short after um, after seminary, you could become, come hospice chaplain or something again that's not at every hospice chaplain it's just the point is there was there were these jobs out there but now it's like you probably are going to have to you know find a building like nick's doing like set up take down chairs you're going to have to actually be an evangelist you're going to have to you know defend your positions against people you're going to have to do it's a lot harder um and on top of that the culture has shifted almost 180 degrees with respect to any traditional christian conviction um you know not only is it is it intolerant it's um now seen as hateful and so You've got a quite a, a heavy weather ahead of you, son. You know, so you would so the fact that you're coming to Ambridge and you've got to um, you know, walk to class uphill both ways in January, uh with ten feet of snow, like might make you in in some of those moments you may reconsider your your desire to forego your family's um scuba rental equipment business in green uh Green Turtle Key in the Bahamas, you know, like you might want to <laughs> rethink that. And so again, not to say that I guess, you know, we're old enough now, it's like, we don't sound we we have some water under the bridge, we have some scars and some calluses. And to say, you know, we've seen I've seen more than a number of people who started off with me in ministry, at the very least in college, if not even in seminary, who no longer are involved. Um, and I that doesn't bring me any joy, I tear up thinking about it, some of them in particular. But, um, but in part, I don't think that we could have, I don't you know, I don't want to go back and say oh we could have definitely um stopped that if we had only known but but it certainly wasn't going to help them then nor now to make it somehow easier or less less um clear-eyed about what you were actually being called to do and I think that's when Jesus you know, sending you, I'm sending you like sheep amongst the wolves, he says, you know, I mean, this is what Jesus tells us this, that we, that we see the witness of the church is the foolishness of the, we're the foolishness to the Greeks and we're stumbling block to the Jews, meaning that we're, you know, we're, we're ridiculous to the spiritual and we are, um, you know, seemingly uh, crazy to the religious or whatever. I mean, this is, This is the mission, this is the calling, and that's why it's radical. And, you know, I hope that that's what people are being called to again um, in whatever conference they attend. But what my concern is, is that the ACNA in particular doesn't seem to be calling or at the very least producing people who have that sense of how radical the countercultural vision uh, witness of the church actually is. And I think that's where. Um, You know, I'm always reminded of C.S. Lewis talking with the bishop in hell and his um, in the great divorce. You remember you remember this or the guy that saying that um, came back to he had been converted, came back to talking to the bishop was uh, incensed that he had, um, you know, that he or, or he was convinced that he had been such a courageous pioneer for the truth in his day. And the man was asking him sort of quite indignantly, like, at what point did any of your convictions actually cause you any any harm society, you know, with your societal, I mean, I'm, I'm not giving the, um, yeah. yeah. And he said, um, and I think, and I just think of that, like, you know, if you, if you are, um, like how many, um, bishops in whatever century would be sitting, um, with the Romans watching the Christians being thrown to the thrown to the lions you know like how many saying oh those crazy fundamentalists like they just don't know they don't they're taking that resurrection stuff seriously you know they're the ones who think that that Paul, that god um actually speaks loudly about sexual promiscuity and not just uh whispers about it you know he thinks like look at all those christians and then you know pass me the sherry and and why the why they get devoured and i mean that used to be a tongue-in-cheek joke, but it's sadly gotten more true. Uh, I remember back in seminary I said, you know, you can tell a faithful bishop if he he uh, was one that would have been martyred or would have been watching the martyrs in the early church. And it's like, well, I think that designation still stands. I mean, I think <laughs> if you're if you're not a bishop like Bishop Love, or you're being excoriated like my bishop here in Charleston, you know, if if you're not an Orthodox Christian and you see the lawsuits and all of the property fights and all these things, you think that what the ACNA is doing is horrendous, you know, those fundamentalists taking our our birthright. But if, for those of us who are being shepherded by such a man, it's um it's incredibly encouraging and it's 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 something to behold. And so again i mean that's just where we are and i and i hope and pray that at least in our small little efforts by hoping to clarify to at least to the extent of what we're involved in you know maybe you'll get more seminarians matt you know nick those guys coming through Louisville, coming through southern on the canterbury trail like hopefully they run into you and get inspired by something like this because they would see themselves not as not as antagonistic towards their Baptist history, but just simply joining a different tradition that has some, some different strengths um, and hopefully still seen as brothers at arms. I mean, that's the, that's the hope.
2: Your m- remark about Sherry uh, reminded me of uh, a controversy that was going on in, uh, I think it was 2008, maybe, maybe later, but uh, when Tori Bachum, who was the rector of of Truro Church, sparked up a friendship with Shannon Johnson, who's the Episcopal Bishop of, of virginia was anyway at the time i think he still is i think
0: he might still be
2: very okay but very, very very much a re- revisionist when it came to the sexuality question and pushing gay marriage and all that kind of thing um and so Tori bockham the acna rector at uh i strikes up a, a fellowship with him they're, they're starting to engage in, in in mutual ministry and a lot of us at the time you know said this is this is terrible this is a, a this is a, a this Shannon Johnson is should not be treated like a minister of the gospel because he's not.
0: He's he's leading <laughs> people to hell. And so if we, only you had had Twitter back then, Matt. <laughs> <only you> had,
2: <laughs> all I had is a blog platform. if all we can't we can't be in fellowship with these people. And the, the pushback was something like, oh well, we need to be at peace. We need to be of peace. We need to sit around the table we don't have to agree we can agree to disagree about this even look, we've, we've left the Episcopal church we're in the ACNA now so there's no real, real problem with us having fellowship with them because we're now in different organizations and so it won't matter so much we need to have peace and and the whole focus was really we need to be able to eat drink sherry together we need to be able to have our, our, our dinner together and be friends who cares about the same-sex attracted guy in a pew who looks at that fellowship and says well maybe there is reason to believe that I can go and act on these things without being taken outside the church. Because look, Shannon Johnson and Tori Bauckham are, friend, are doing the common ministry together. They're treating each other as Christians. So why can't I just, why can't I just be a Christian who decides to have sex in this way? Or... So anyway, the, the whole point of the, of the, of the call for peace in the church wasn't really concerned, wasn't really concern with the church. It was a concern with People of like-minded with like-minded attitudes being able to hang out together who, who have colors, and I see the same kind of thing. in, in this new, uh, we saw it with Hannah King's article earlier last year. Why can't we all just get along with with Episcopal with the ministry and the ministers in the Episcopal Church? Same kind of thing here. It's just the, the focus is why can't we clergy who think alike be be doing common ministry? Well, because there's a lot of there's a lot of theology that 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 you are going to have to. Um, either stop proclaiming a lot of doctrine you're going to have to be silent about um, in order to maintain that fellowship. And, and that that will ultimately do harm to lots of people looking looking on.
0: Yeah, I mean, because no matter what you, uh, sort of the doctrines that you personally, and in, in many cases, privately profess, I mean, your your public um, associations are going to yeah. call, it's is, is going to speak loudly, if not more loudly, than than whatever it is you're teaching, um, you, you know, you're you're upholding. I mean, I think this is part of the clock that was ticking on me, which I was unaware of just because the Lord gave us children later in life than we had thought we should have them of uh, his wisdom prevailed. But, um, you know, when my daughter was born, I think I've said this before, it was this like in a three month period, I became a father and a rector. And it was like the dual weights of those responsibilities landed on me in quite an unsettling way, you know? And in many ways I could look at the next three years of my life as kind of staggering under those, you know, it's like, if you someone threw you two 50 pound bags of concrete, like you take you a couple of steps to, to kind of get your, your bearings. Well, it took me about three years to get my footing again and Nick was a part of that and it wasn't the most easy well to put it lightly it wasn't the easiest three years but but it was an instructive one because i realized um that my associations and were going to come to an end at some point particularly when my daughter was old enough to start drawing these lines because whatever i was saying whatever i was teaching her you know daddy what is your isn't that man your bishop isn't that the man your boss you know what about this other boss man over here who's in this parade or saying these things or writing this book, like it helped me understand these connections. And and I realized that I wasn't going to be able to sufficiently explain that to her or to myself really was the, the point. And it took me a while for that to work out. And And I know that for some people who are involved in my uh, life and ministry, it was seen as quite a, um, quite a reversal. Um, <laughs> and in many ways it was, and I, you know, I was, I was sort of apologetic about it being a reversal because I know it was somewhat disconcerting, or at least it was um, confusing for some people, but, but that's how I have now come to describe it. I said, you know, I used to, I didn't fully appreciate the weight of ordination or um, and then by extension fatherhood. And there's, you know, you can make an argument, there's some similarities to the responsibilities there with respect to shepherding sheep And for me, it was destabilizing and then rebuilding. And now I'm in an altogether different place. And, and that's, um, you know, I think that's where this sort of these sort of associations, that's why I have such strong feelings about them, whether it's seminary level or ecclesiological, or just even, um, you know, in my own ministry, it's because it's, it's not that I have some some great antagonism or animus, but there is, we are preaching different gospels. We are, we are operating in different Christian uh, narrative frameworks, for lack of a better word. And, and I want to be as clear as I can for my sake and the sake of those people who the Lord has given me some influence or responsibility over as I can. And conferences like this and seminaries and various um, associations that blur that are unhelpful um, going forward and um, something that I personally am trying to uh, have less of in my life, not more you know, the ACNA is still growing. And, you know, there are like, we're trying to have a conversation and there are different ideas about, about what the future looks like. And for some, it looks more like a um, more broadly Orthodox, but still liturgical, um, less dogmatic sort of mystical Protestantism. And for others like us, at the very least, it looks more like a, a, a robust reformed liturgically reformed you know small c um Catholic, catholicity which which are not at odds 100 180 degree odds but they are in tension with each other and and at certain points you're going to have to choose which one is preeminent you know it's like the three streams that you know this gillis harp who's a, a historian up at grove city has has written about the um The sort of novelty of the idea of three streams you know charismatic anglo-catholic and evangelical um and sort of how that's the new way to talk about the anglican church and so you can google that gillis harp and three streams but i'm even sympathetic to the idea of three streams only when like the three-legged stool they are seen as um one takes preeminence you know like there's a major artery there's a major river with two tributaries you know so if we have in my opinion if evangelical meaning simply bible centric is the major tributary of the reformed English church, then you can have tributaries of Catholicism. I mean, a uh, high churchmanship and uh, charismatic ideas coming in, which can serve and nourish the main uh, river, but they aren't to seen as co-equals. And I think that's what we're going to, that's a tension that we've inherited in ACNA. And that's um, a little bit what we're seeing, because if your main goal is like the, if your main idea is that we are essentially a liturgical movement, you know, you'll hear people say that, They'll start with like, well, Anglicanism is not confessional. It's liturgical. You know, I'm like, reach for your holster sort of thing. You know, okay, wait, where are you going with this? I know exactly where you're going. Uh, I've been to the diocese of Newark, but anyway um, I want to, uh, you know, if that's your main, that's your idea of it. Well, that's going to come into conflict with the charismatic. And again, That's where we are. And we are part of this conversation and part of this discussion. And, you know, we may not prevail. And of course, even in part of our discussion, our ideas have changed and been tweaked and softened and and strengthened in some areas. You know, as iron sharpens iron, says the Proverbs. And so, You know, I'm looking forward. I hope that the conversation will continue. I hope that it's not just antagonistic, but I do think it's a worthy one because we're talking at its heart about about visions, not simply of a Anglicanism, but of particular Anglican churches that are actually forming and shaping Christian people in specific and um, unique ways. So, I mean, I think that's where we are. And you've been doing this a lot longer than we have, Matt, but I think um, strong things on the internet sometimes need to be said. (laughs)
1: All right. Well, this conversation certainly went off on a couple tributaries that we didn't expect. We we thought we might talk about some of the articles. Maybe we'll do that on future episodes, uh, but we have reached the point at which our listener is probably ready to listen to other things. So that's going to be where we're going to cut it off this week. We'll be back next week, Lord willing. Uh, we hope that You've enjoyed this episode. Thanks for listening. If you want to keep the conversation going, uh, please be in touch with us. You can rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com or join the Anglicans for the Gospel Facebook group. Thanks, as always, to Matt Kennedy and J.D. Koch. I'm Nick Lannon, and we'll see you next week. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm.